So I read in the news this morning uh, that Thelma from Scooby-Doo is a lesbian. Thelma's a lesbian. I mean, your, your face is like you're shocked. Like she was a le- <laughs> she was a le- always a lesbian, I well, think. Well, she didn't have like a male romantic uh, interest like uh, Daphne. Well, apparently she did in the sequel movie, which I didn't see. They but thrust a man onto her. Yeah, and the writer, James Gunn, I guess is his name, semi-letter if I got that wrong uh-huh. uh, set, was upset about that because he said he wrote her as a lesbian from the beginning but that they kept watering it down because nobody wanted a lesbian uh, cartoon character <sighs> I mean people are obviously ob- upset well this is the thing people are saying but can I ask you I, I say I'm sure obviously like, but I think it's no ridiculous. but people are like whatever yeah is this like a thing where he did actually write her as a lesbian? Or is well, this like a J.K. Rowling thing? No, I mean, that, I mean that it's controversial. Who knows, but he's saying Because she's like, is. oh, Dumbledore was always gay. And I'm like, no, come on. Yeah, come Jay, on. That's my point. I don't understand. Okay, well, well yeah. Here so we go. here's Thelma now. Um, and people are upset saying that they're, that they, Who's liberals, they? I guess, are okay. trying to, to sexualize cartoons. But wasn't D- Daphne... Uh, Daphne, okay. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> I know. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Daphne running around with her tits up in the air and a and mini her, skirt. The tiniest skirt you've ever seen. The tiniest skirt you've ever seen. Nothing but legs. I mean, Daphne is always much more giggling my at vibe. And she's always like, ah, Freddy. You uh, know, you're Freddy, yes. Uh, Freddy. Yeah. I think Freddy's problematic as much as anyone else. But yeah. she's always got her tits in his face. And we're not like, we're now sexualizing the most asexual human being ever to be in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By I just mean, saying that she's lesbian, which, hello. Not to, you know, again, stereotype, but mm-hmm. you've. Uh, I don't want to say somebody looks or doesn't look like a lesbian, but Thelma looks like a lesbian. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm. Yeah, she looks smart. Nerdy, she's got that sexy. oversized. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she's got that big cozy sweater she's and like, with yeah. all sorts of secrets underneath. Yeah. yeah so. She hides her secrets under that sweater. <laughs> only for those that can find them. <laughs> which is now which a Which is only other women here. <laughs> So obviously the system's broken in cartoon land today. Apparently, right? yeah. This that, is news to me. That's what we're that's what we're here to talk about today. Lesbians. Not cartoon. Oh. <laughs> not lesbians. Lesbians. Maybe lesbians. I love them. Uh, not cartoons, jewelry systems. Mm-hmm. And today we have Chris Oliver, who is the head of professional training at the Goldsmith Center in London. Thanks for uh, flying over here. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. <laughs> he flew over here only to do the show. That's it. Only that I've been in town for one day. And <laughs> I'm spending an hour of it here. Oh, on a yes. beautiful sunny day. It's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. A beautiful. It's a gorgeous day in my fabulous apartment. <laughs> exactly. You can underline and bold fabulous. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, yeah, here we are. Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi. We need to know more about i think to lay the foundation for this conversation we need to know more about what you do at goldsmith center what that what what is it um so the goldsmith center is uh, an independent charity established by the goldsmith company so i guess the journey of this starts 700 years ago my goodness um, oh my a livery company uh, in london he's a necromancer <laughs> <laughs> it's been around for seven years but they set up a guild to look after 
jewelry really in london 700 years ago mm-hmm. and the Gossels company look after it by hallmarking stuff so okay. call back to your previous episodes mm-hmm. put oh, in make copying, yeah put in make, it was featuring emily vesseland yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very good episode everyone thank give you. it a listen thank you um but Ooh. they put makers marks on jewelry to help kind of avoid copying yeah mm-hmm. did that for 700 years that's a wow. great s- system we don't have we have nothing of the sort in the United States. No, no sort of regulatory nothing. body or, an, or any independent organization that does this. Yeah, we'll exactly. take that one off air. Yeah. We'll make some contacts, see if we can help people there. That would be brilliant. That would be great. That would be we wonderful. Really Start it. in New York City. A lot of people could use that. Yeah. Okay, so we have the Goldsmith Center. So then, the 700 years pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was things happening. Cartoons were drawn. Um, but then in 2012, um, the Gospels Company made probably its biggest ever investment in the UK jewellery industry, mm-hmm. where it established a building in London, which now houses 24 commercial workshops. Wow. Um, there's about wow. 80 to 100 craftspeople in the building making a living. And then it also has a training wing to it, which I look after, um, which we focus on outreach work into schools to introduce young people into jewelry and its numerous benefits through to teaching 16 to 19 year olds full-time craftsmanship the gospel company has its own apprenticeship scheme which it funds outside of the mainstream to then also supporting emerging businesses so we do a course that starts introductory kind of business guidance in getting started all the way through then to business short courses technical short courses we're there to help anyone that aspires to be or works in the jewelry industry that's incredible it's incredible yeah that's fantastic i think first of all when we're starting to think about systems just everything you said we don't have we don't have anything we have nothing of the sort here and obviously you know as you've called back to a previous episode about copying alone which Mm -hmm. that is one issue out of many Mm. yeah uh we have no protections for young designers who are, as we talked about in that episode, yeah. oftentimes when they're very talented, ripped off by major, you know, global conglomerates. Yeah. And their designs are reproduced by companies as big as, you know, Dior, Schiaparelli and all of that. Yeah. There's no system in place to prevent it, to protect it, to mm-hmm. return what's rightfully someone's back to them exactly it's a whole, I or think to it's even compensate them for the work yeah. to even say listen they sold x many units by mm-hmm. copying your design there, there should be some sort of legal structure that says we can you know mm-hmm. force them to compensate you for your yeah i think we're an industry that's obsessed with the price of the material and yes. not what goes into creating the piece yeah yes. and i think you know, hallmarking is there to show you that what you're getting is the right metal mm-hmm. yeah. but actually having that maker's mark there and knowing that this is from that person, that mm-hmm. you you fall in love with a piece of jewellery because it's the it's the maker's aesthetic, it's their contribution, it's their manipulation of materials. To have that there, that for me is as, as much of a, a selling point to a mm-hmm. consumer as anything else, that you, yeah. they can see and know that that bit of work came from that individual. Oh, yeah. I agree. And it's the way that we all shop, whether we're conscious of it or not. It's uh, It's about you know, brands that we are attached to, but it's also sort of the creative minds who are behind those brands that we mm-hmm. become attached to. Right. You know. Well, yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the creative minds, right? And the entry points of jewelry, because I think 
when we think about systems, if we were to kind of break it down um, in the full scope of a career is like, how do you entry, right? Entry into it. What are the systems in place to support that? Um, how do we grow it? What are the systems in place to support growth? Mm-hmm. Maybe none. And what are the systems then in su- to support the sustaining of these businesses, right? Right. And you, like you just mentioned, have a program called Getting Started, but also you do professional training with younger people. How is this, the systems in place for entry into the field? Um, How do you work this out? I'm going to talk off as a UK perspective. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if I... We're just learning from you today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. All the things yeah. you have, we want. So yeah, we're going to talk about yes. how do we get them. This is a mind dump of an eight-hour <laughs> flight, which you've got to get back on in 20 minutes. But, is anyone writing this down? Um, I think jewellery is not my world. I came into it eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very fringe subject. For all the creative practices out there with fashion, graphic design, photography, mm-hmm. you know, there are mainstream entry points. In the UK, jewellery, it sits in this little word of craft, which has kind of become hobbyist. It's you know, On a rainy Sunday afternoon, you get the craft box out for the kids and it's dry pasta and glitter glue. And they make stuff that goes in the fridge and that's a beautiful space. Yeah. But it's not the career that we know a lot of people that have careers in this industry. So it feels to me that this current time you've got entry points which people are having to self-fund that the mainstream systems aren't there to support them that people mm-hmm. they need finance to have access to these there's not a lot of there are mainstream providers in the uk but it focuses very much on the creative practice you know, mm-hmm. it's much more of a almost like a fine art practice where you're using metal rather than mm-hmm. i don't know oil paint or whatever mm-hmm. but actually preparing people for careers that's what personally I'm about as my ethos around training is actually empowering people to make a living out of what they want to do I'm sure this is the same in the US and listening to previous podcasts I've seen that that you've got very talented emerging businesses Mm -hmm. that the business is one of half a dozen side hustles that they have to have because jewelry is now what they do at the weekends because Monday through Friday it's working wherever they need to work I want to see a world where we're actually creating that training and that knowledge. So when people come out, that qualification, that piece of paper they've earned and in a lot of cases paid for mm-hmm. has actually equipped them to do the job they want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was one of the, you know, the, the opportunities to work with Jewelry Week and the Here We Are program was to share some of that information with these makers because you know, I think understanding the similarities between what's going on in the UK and what's happening in the US there's a lot of similarities we can share from and there's a oh, lot yeah. of good practice we can yeah. learn from. Yes. But we've got to find a way of getting the industry to recognize there's a really big problem staring it, staring it in the face. Yeah. Yes. I just, uh, as you were saying, that's so many problems from our end, from like access. I have so many. So many problems. I have so many But wait, problems. let's just touch on what you said about working together. So we, mm. we've been working together uh, here we are in Goldsmith Center through Chris on a, a sort of translated version of their Getting Started program as an educational support for our Here We Are initiative. So that's how we've come together on this. And I think just working with you in that short time, learning the lack of a support system here has been something really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. That like it, it, from one point, I think there's there's no systems to help access 
into the field like you said like people are making jewelry on the side I don't think that's okay but on the other side it's a free-for-all as well like anyone can become a jeweler in the U.S. with little to zero skill set that's true too you know it's an interesting thing because I was thinking about this when we first talked about having Chris on the show and I was uh, kind of recalling my experience in growing up in Germany and one thing that I say to a lot of people here in America is that And I think this is true, and I don't know how true this may be in the UK, but it certainly is true of continental Europe, which is oftentimes, and this depends on the industry, much more rigorous with their regulatory bodies and kind of with their um, education programs. I mean, to the point that in Germany, for instance, if you wanted to become a plumber, you go to a separate school for that. Mm. You know, you get a separate education to become an electrician. It's not a trade that you learn. You go to proper kind of trade universities to do that, right? I think you're making some really good points. I think mm-hmm. you know, the Europe especially, I think that there's a real respect for trade and I really love the exactly. use of the word trade. Yes. I think it it formalizes and I think you know, mm-hmm. jewelry is a trade. I think you know, the, the points you make around education, I think Belgium, you have to undertake a, a small business qualification before you're allowed to register your own business. Yes. So they want to reassure that. You know, the UK doesn't have that kind of you know, caveat. I think you know, I'm sitting opposite a photographer, the affordability of a digital SLR camera meant everyone could be a photographer because you can get a business card done. That's right. Jewelry's the same. You can go out, you can buy the kit, mm-hmm. you can sit at the table, you can put some beads on something and go, I'm off to the craft fair, I'm a jeweler now. Exactly. I don't want anyone not doing that. I just want people taking pictures, I just want people making jewelry, but it means we've got a very saturated marketplace. Where it actually, does. This is sort of the push-pull I always feel about this in that I know for a fact at, given that I'm the age that I am, very young oh, so young so, so, young. so young. young is it even legal for you to be oh, here? Oh, I don't think I'm supposed to be here as <laughs> well we're, we're in his apartment, he's not allowed out <laughs> <laughs> without supervision right. so young, mm, fresh <laughs> but I um, <laughs> I could never in Germany though, have the business that I have here that's sort of the oh, flip side of it in that, one, I'm a Bosnian immigrant. And I'll tell you right now, uh, I love Germany. I still think of it as my home in many ways. But mm-hmm. uh, there is such profound kind of racism, especially in um, industries like fashion and like jewelry, that I can tell you just from my own experience, there's so many companies that would have never given me a shot knowing mm-hmm. that I'm Bosnian. They wouldn't trust me with their work. They wouldn't trust me to have their pieces in my studio. That's one thing. And I know that for a fact. And two, I also know that even were that not the case, I would really struggle to have started my business at 26. I I believe I was 26 Mm -hmm. when I first started my business. And to have then the level of clientele and to work with the kinds of companies that I now work with and to be able to live the life that I now get to live because of that, Mm -hmm. that would be that the challenge to get to there would, in Germany would be so hard because there's so much more gatekeeping. And when we came to Germany, we were poor. I would not have been able to afford to go to some program that mm. kind of then certifies me and makes me sort of officially a photographer or okay. anything like that. And I certainly would not be able to buy the, all the equipment that I would need and to sustain the overhead that I would need to start my business only to then be met with closed door after closed door. And those doors would be closed for reasons that have nothing to do with my skill level, right? 
So that's kind of the push-pull I always feel. And I say that's sort of what I love about America is precisely that, mm. that, the, that it's so possible for me mm, to come yeah. here, pick up a DSLR, which is what I did, buy some lights and say, I'm a photographer now. And uh, I've been able to build a business on that. Now, obviously, you have to have talent, skill, et cetera, et cetera. Of course. You have to mm-hmm. have, you know, in our business, you have to have taste. And that's a yeah. bit more ephemeral. Uh, so you have to have those things. But I don't know where I would be w- in an environment that had a lot more gatekeeping in that way. I think gatekeeping is a really interesting word. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it is a problem. I think the, the jewelry industry especially, I think, is by nature quite a closed secretive industry yes it's, it's high value goods people yes. don't want to advertise where their workshop is of course equipment is a barrier and therefore the need for equity programs is really important very important. you know um at the center we have a number of different you know funding streams people can apply for to access that mm-hmm. but i think yeah a in my one day in new york you'd be able to visit places like brooklyn metal works where you see you see individuals really helping persevere to create access points, to That's create right. opportunity. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. I think as an industry, we become more aware of that. Mm-hmm. I think society has little peaks and troughs. You know, we saw that in the last couple of years where uh, our social awareness of you know, issues that were important, you know, they became very apparent and the world did a lot of positive things to that. Are we still giving the same volume to those issues in 2022? No, we're not. You, we've got, I don't think we we've got new oh, yeah, things yeah, to yeah. focus on. I think that's, and that's, that for me is why the ability to collaborate, to work with you know, New York Jewelry Week, you know, the Here We Are program, mm-hmm. is so important. Yeah. I think developing that community to keep conversations going, to keep exactly. you know, opening mm-hmm. doors. And there's so many aspirational and inspirational figures within our industry. Mm-hmm. Part of us is, for me, it feels the responsibility to kind of create platforms soon because they will inspire other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate that you know, the industry has kind of welcomed me in, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, this is an audio medium, you know, but I'm a cis white male, so the door sometimes opens easier to that and mm-hmm. I have to acknowledge that. But I think the collective that we're starting to see and hopefully we can build should give a brighter future to the jewelry industry, you know, but we need to start some of those interventions really young. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to just sort of put a caveat on what I had said earlier, mm-hmm. um, it's not like there aren't forms of gatekeeping here. Oh, They're not yeah, official, yeah, yeah. but obviously oh, in America, yeah, yeah. you know, money Huge is the problem. biggest gatekeeper <laughs> there, there can be, and it's the most potent one too. Right. And I think that's when I think about systems, like the need for systems for to create access points when money is not in your hands that's the, how do you balance that out because i think before you get money the, the, the gatekeeper of knowledge is really important that's I right think people yeah. don't people don't know that jewelry is a career you know exactly. you, you people yeah. see the high street element of it you yeah, know yeah. i'm walking here today there's some beautiful shop windows mm-hmm. but how that stuff is created and ends up in those shop windows yeah. it's a mystery yeah. the, the the value that society now has on creative education mm-hmm. right we've got generations of kids that aren't academic they want to learn a practical way, right. but if we don't tell them about it, there's lots of little initiatives. Again, there's so many people doing so many good little things, but bringing them together, that collective voice mm-hmm. for me is always a louder one mm-hmm. than individuals send them individual good things. Mm-hmm. But we need to, you know, as a charity, what we try to do is 
go out to places and let people know that there are alternative careers. You know, you only know what you can see. Oh yeah. And I mm-hmm. want people to see it to believe that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, it makes me think of the, we want to train and educate before you're in the career, right? Like how do we create those ac- those moments of access? Apprenticeships are gone, which I think were such an important part of this industry. Such a previously. terrible shame too. And I, I think it's gone on one hand because people just want to jump in now. Now we're like instant gratification. I want to be a designer, but there's so many, there also are no systems to entry into that. If you're not already in the community of like, Oh, my grandfather was a goldsmith. Right. And then I learned from him. And then, and and the sad thing is by not having those apprenticeships anymore, we're actually losing real skill sets that are disappearing mm-hmm. and that are rarer and rarer every day because yeah. they're not being passed on. I think in my brief research on Alan before we switched the record button <laughs> on, um, <laughs> it, you didn't jump straight into your own business at 26. No. You, you went and you worked under photographers, yes, which in right. its own two ways is an apprenticeship, isn't it? That's and right. I think it, I imagine those those learnings are the bits that filled in the gaps from studying. Had I not had that opportunity... Mm-hmm. to go and work for somebody like Steve McCurry and just to sort of understand how a commercial studio works and what is required, I wouldn't be here now because I had started my career as a photojournalist and I worked for him because he is one. But I realized then going to his studio that so much of his work had to be commercial to sustain his business and to pay his employees. Mm. And that's where I sort of discovered that whole world. I mean, he shot like campaigns for Valentino. He shot the Pirelli calendar. Yeah. He discovered Carly Kloss. He was the first person to shoot her for the oh, I didn't know that. Pirelli calendar. Yeah. And I was uh, working for him at the time, which wow. was sort of exciting. And, uh, you know, he did like jobs like shooting the backdrops for Microsoft. So for the OS 10, I believe it was, or, or X or what, I don't know what they call them. I don't have a PC, but the, <laughs> it, it all flew to New Zealand. Checking the room that is true. This is all Apple. Um, all, this <laughs> is an Apple household. Okay. If you're listening, Apple, I think the sponsorship deal is still on the table. Ooh, ooh, sponsor, sponsor. Genius. Uh, Apple, Apple, Apple. Tim, call me. Tim, <laughs> Tim Cook, call me. But I was going to say <laughs> that was my equivalent of an internship. But here's the thing. Mm. I had to go to a pretty renowned uh, photography program at university here in the States, which cost a fortune. It cost Mm. a fortune. And I had to do a lot of things leading up to that internship to be able to get it, Mm. to be able to set foot in the door. Absolutely. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to name names. But what was interesting is that there there were people who worked at that studio and one of them was Russian. Mm-hmm. And she, and I say this, this is relevant only because she wasn't from here. And she, I remember her once asking, I'm not going to even give the title of the position, um, why in that studio she's never once seen an intern or anybody come through of color. She's like, how come we've never had a black intern before? Wow. Uh, because she was, I was being asked where I was from and mm-hmm. I mentioned that it's Bosnian. And she was. She just sort of randomly went. How come we've never had one before? And the room went silent. Wow. You could hear a pin drop. But mm. when she said that, it, that didn't even occur to me. I was like, I have never had an internship in my industry where I've ever had one single Latino or black kid in the room. 
Wow. That's never once happened in the years I've had to do this. I think that's a, that's a, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? I think, I go back to the knowledge gatekeeping bit. Yeah. I think if communities don't understand that there are opportunities, yes. then actually you, you deny someone the chance to follow a career at such an early informative stage of their existence. Yes, you know, that's right. Mm-hmm. I rem- you, in the UK, you have you know, young people having to make decisions around what they're going to study at mm-hmm. kind of 13 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can you might remove a creative pathway from someone at 13. <laughs> but no, I, think it's, I think it's really important. I think you know, the outreach work of... You know, going out into communities that you know, suffer from underrepresentation, and I think the creative industries is guilty of that. That's mm. right. You know, and I think that's probably a, a global issue. But you know, making the decision to kind of do that as we do in the UK, we could we want to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, I know there's people that have done little bits of that in you know, the New York area, and hopefully those are the sort of things that I think you know, programs like the Here We Are program. I think it's mm-hmm. been really good to create visibility of people in the industry. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of aspirational figures are really important. Yeah, exactly. No, that's so true. I'd love to go back and talk about what you touched upon earlier about um, the jewelers having to work um, on the weekend, right? That That isn't your full-time career. And having multiple jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, why, why don't we support, again, back to that idea of education before it, why are we... So like learn on the job, mm-hmm. right? Do the, why is jewelry a second, often a second career for people? A How vast do, majority of the time. So many, yeah. why aren't we saying, well, to your point, I guess a lot of people don't even know. I certainly didn't. I ended mm-hmm. up here by, I didn't know so did this I. was an option. I, I'm here accidentally you too. too. Yeah, yeah. All three of us. Yeah. I think it, part of it is the balance in between academia and vocational learning. Yes. I think you know, we want to intellectualize a subject so much sometimes that we forget how to make it relevant. You know, Practical. and yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I think you know, we've all seen and know makers that regardless of their skill base, the the need to switch on the other side of the brain and look at you know their accounts, look at their branding, their marketing, understanding why they will need to wear so many hats. But mm-hmm. if we can share that message and start equipping them whilst they're studying hopefully they come out with a more realistic viewpoint of what they're walking into. I think you know, education is beautiful. I'm not going to ever not say that. You know, it's a lovely little time period in your life if you can access it, mm-hmm. that you can experiment, explore, you find yourself, you do all the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you graduate, the community is gone, there's isolation, there's the reality That's check. True. And you, yeah. you need to, we need to as, a, as an industry recognize that mm-hmm. yeah I'd, I'd love to see more industry involved in the training at an earlier stage so people are coming out realistic that mm-hmm. you know they understand how manufacturing in the jewel industry works you know that we start they come out with some network already established you know that that for me would it doesn't it's make huge. things easy you know, as last said, you still need hard work you still nothing comes for free mm-hmm. oh no 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 but if you can start to <laughs> prop some doors open <laughs> i mean I mean, please. Look at this. Look at this. Yeah, this view ain't free. (laughs) (laughs) But if we can prop some doors open, that's going to make it easier for people to walk through. Exactly. You've made such an excellent point. One thing that I often think about is there there are great, you know, organizations like the CFDA and they have Mm -hmm. educational programs and they work really hard to introduce and pull in more young talent into the industry. I don't think people understand why they do that. 
They do it because ultimately, in the long term, it benefits and behooves the industry to do so. Because what happens is otherwise there is a drought of talent. Mm-hmm. There are droughts of new ideas, yeah. right, and skills, and real sort of important skills, high quality, high skill level uh, techniques. All, all of those things get lost along the way when we're not kind of drawing fresh blood into the industry. Jewelers, as you had said earlier, Chris, are so by nature very secretive, and it's such an isolated industry that. They don't, I think, they don't think about the long term of the health of the industry because we're not pulling enough yeah. of that young talent into the business and educating mm-hmm. them and passing those skill sets on. I think yeah, that's the summary of your, your podcast on there. I couldn't agree more. I think yeah, we, we, we need to equip industry to understand how and why they're taking young people on, yes. you know, what that benefit is. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that growing in, in the UK with the Goldsmiths Companies Apprenticeship Scheme. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of support that we try and put around the business and make sure we're realistic with them. You know, taking on a young person, I'd be a liar if I sat here and said that they're going to start making you money from the day they walk in the door. Oh, yeah. they're, a, they're a drain on the business for a period of time yes. because you've got to show them. If you're not at the bench making, you're not earning. So Correct. I respect that. But I think the collective that we want is an industry which wants to support itself, wants to look after itself. You know, that, you know, jewelry is one of the highest businesses for New York City, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, second highest. So it needs looking after, mm-hmm. but actually it needs looking after from the point of view of, you know, future-proofing it. Yes. You know, because the I'm all right, Jack, kind of attitude, it's a bit like climate change, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. like... The polar ice caps aren't going to melt in my lifetime, so exactly, I'm all right. It's like <laughs> it, yeah. uh, the occasional warm day in January doesn't, you know, I'm not too fussed over. Yeah. I'm enjoying not having to wear a coat today. Yeah. But people, again, it's short-sightedness. People aren't thinking about long-term health in that way. Mm-hmm. And those problems do come, even for the current generation, fight them yeah. in the rear. Mm-hmm. That's what does end up happening. And what's also, I think, important about kind of bringing new blood and new ideas into the industry is that it really effectively helps us to grow th- the industry Absolutely. because what is happening as you know this jb we see this every day i'm sure you know this as well chris is we see a lot of the same kind of stuff over and over and over yeah. again and people buy a lot of the same stuff and that stuff sells because people's idea of what jewelry is and what it can be is incredibly mm-hmm. limited but yeah. it's limited because it's always the same ideas the same people making it the same things being sold to them etc yeah. etc and we can grow an audience for jewelry and therefore enrich the entire industry when we have fresh blood coming in with new ideas that can capture new audiences yeah. for yeah, us. Yeah. You know? Well, I think even on a larger scale to that point with us talking about jewelry being secretive is the industry as a whole when you think about the industry part, right? Big brands, heritage houses, mm-hmm. they, they are becoming irrelevant. Mm-hmm. or were, I think there's some shifts that have been happening in the last few years, but they were becoming irrelevant. And how do you stay relevant? It's fresh blood, but fresh they didn't blood. want it. Like, they didn't right? want I think it, no. That is an industry-wide epidemic. And that, it's so like, strange because they have models that are working models. You have what, I mean, uh, 
you have a house like Balenciaga, I don't know in its history how many young designers mm-hmm. have gone, walked through those doors and have sort of, ha- you know, headed that brand yeah. and been the creative, uh, creative directors for that brand. Yeah. And you've got sort of constantly young talent entering sort of major brands like that to reinvigorate them. Right. Well, in Tiffany's, with the purchase of LVMH, like we were all very upset when Pharrell came out wearing those uh, Moogle glasses. That's right. right? Yes. But... Uh-huh. I think the idea that Tiffany's is recognizing the importance of hip hop and the connection of jewelry is it's like finally For one of finally the most seeing what's happening in the world and becoming relevant. And and like who your actual customer is that's too. It, yeah, yeah. Like that's insanity to me. One of the most profoundly and deeply kind of I think and I'll just say this racist things about this industry is the complete lack of acknowledgement to street and hip-hop culture and how it influences jewelry aesthetics and how much of the business is affected by Mm -hmm. that clientele. Um, Yeah, and I think in the last few years, it's very apparent that the diamond industry has been struggling for relevancy. But you know what's been relevant has been hip-hop. Absolutely. And it has been here. Absolutely. And I think for them to finally see that, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, diamonds are hot. And they can be cool. Because people didn't think diamonds could be cool. Because it's a bunch of old, white, stuffy, white ladies wearing them and being made by old, stuffy, white, rich ladies, blah, 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 blah. You know, and therefore they're like, well, this isn't cool. Because I'm not that woman. I don't want to be that woman, you know. Yeah, you don't want to be. And I think that's so important to to see this cooperation right that we finally can acknowledge that this that we can work together to get somewhere to bring in new talent and become relevant the idea that the jewelry industry should look at the fashion industry yeah. yeah, the fashion has its problems, has its problems. Still. But, yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, into the CFDA, right? Like, we don't have that. That is so important, like you were said, for mm-hmm. bringing in new talent. Something you always reference is, like, checking back to make sure the things are working. Yes. Is it flowing That's forward? the thing, I think. If you, yeah, if you wonder why the river is blocked, maybe mm-hmm. stop looking at where the dry patch is and go back up Correct. the river yes. yeah. and see where the blockage starts. That's and right. I think that... That for me is what the jewelry she is in a position that it needs to start to do. And you know, my employers have started that journey in the UK. I think hopefully this collaboration because I think the jewelry industry is a worldwide industry. Yeah, it's it, you know, the fact that we see the same problems in different parts of the world collectively. We can share some good experiences. Mm-hmm. We can share good practice. And I think that's exciting for me. I think the idea of you know, bringing in new voices from different backgrounds that are going to alter and change the aesthetic that will create business models that don't operate in the 2022 setting. Because that's right. you, mm-hmm. we've seen in the last three years how vastly different our world became from 2019 for the 2022. Oh, yeah. I don't see that kind of change stopping. But mm-hmm. we need to equip people to adapt to that. Not yeah. you know, jewelry I love because you've got tradition and heritage which you, know, you can treasure and you can build from mm-hmm. but you need to infuse it with some contemporary thoughts some contemporary practice treat ourselves like grown-ups and yeah. actually kind of go we've got an industry which every personality type every background there's a place for you you can be the biggest extrovert the biggest introvert if you want to sit at a bench all day and just make stuff the jewelry industry is crying out for you mm-hmm. you, you could have a career if you want your name in lights the opportunity to do that as well with everything in between 
That's right. We need to start that journey by talking to the young people, but also making sure those access points and that support is there throughout someone's whole journey, not mm. to the bit where you get the bit of paper and you graduate. Where's the support after? Where's the network after? And you know, for me, that's what you know, Jewelry Week is doing in you know, NYC. The Here We Are program is really important to create that kind of that platform for people to come together as a community. You know, it's a word that you know, have on the front door of the, the Goldsmith Center because we think it's it's the greatest strength. Mm-hmm. You know, the creativity, the craftsmanship is built within you if you want this industry mm-hmm. or if you're a creative in general. Mm-hmm. But community and finding the ability to create common ground and feel it as a safe space where you can share, that's the bit that if I can make any contribution to this industry, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. But I've got to fly in four hours, so let's be careful. <laughs> <laughs> that was very well said, Chris. I have to tell you, that was very, very well said. And I agree with every word you uttered just now. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of... Uh, I think one thing that I've said before on the show and where I kind of often go back to, um, I try to not make solely you know, appeals to uh, people's heartstrings and emotion, mm. that sort of thing. If you're a complete cynic... If you don't care about any of those things, if you don't care about equity, you don't care about it, none of that. Mm-hmm. If you're a complete cynic, there you have to understand that there's still economic benefit Absolutely. to doing business differently. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's had a business for an extensive period of time knows that you have to be adaptable, knows that you need yeah. young blood, knows that you need fresh ideas. They understand that, right? Mm-hmm. So, And even if you couldn't care less about any other reason why you should care about those things, Think solely in terms of the economics of it. Highly skilled, talented workforce makes money. Absolutely. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I'm not an economic yeah. person, but I think that's the rule in any walk of life, in any business. You do not want to be looking around for highly skilled staff once people have retired. Exactly. You want that pipeline coming through that actually your business grows. Correct. And there's a lot of people out there right now that are wondering what to do for a career, wondering where their job comes from. Mm-hmm. AI is starting to replace everyone everywhere. You know, you go into your local grocery store, it's a self-service checkout. Mm-hmm. The bit that AI will struggle with and won't get to as quickly is those fine motor skills. Mm-hmm. It's that bit that helps make jewelry. There's yep. a lot of technology which enhances jewelry, but actually we need to train people really quickly. And I think, you know, the solution for me is to start to create some platforms or you know, some conversations where, as you say, you don't have to be in this for the, the moral feel-good factor. Mm. If you want to be purely economical about it, you need a workforce. Absolutely. And you know, let's start training people. Mm-hmm. You know, people around the table, if industry could start to make those contributions back in, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Swiss are great for it. You know, they have those watch schools where you know, the major brands, they, they fund those watch schools. That's right. They take those people. They know mm-hmm. every year they're going to get a new, fantastically skilled person, which means that you've got a Rolex on your wrist. But let's go back to what Chris <laughs> said about the, <laughs> the larger businesses supporting the education mm. of the workforce. That's not happening here. Why not? I, Anyone? <laughs> Hold on, we'll ring them. Uh, <laughs> We're taking calls. Call in right now. Call, Call in. into the show. <laughs> Tell us why. I think people don't know how to do it. I think it's, it's, businesses are different. You know, you know, Watchmaking is a beautiful science. And so I think yeah, they recognize that. But I think... It's such a special craft, too. Yeah, it's fascinating it the way watches are made. But I think what... <clears throat> what we, you know, I think there's a... I could create a model for it. You know, give me some pen and paper and we could create one. I think it's the encouraging and seeing 
And it, it takes the support of the city. It takes the support of you know, the system of yeah. governments to go, yeah. we will let you use some of those tax breaks to fund into education. Yeah. You know, businesses are really good at finding tax breaks, but we mm. need to incentivize them to do the right thing with those tax breaks. That's yeah. right. And actually, right. you know, to offer people an education where you can start to pick talent, you can feed into it so you get what you want out of a system. It goes back to the idea. It doesn't matter if you want this for the feel-good factor. Yeah. If you could encourage your business to spend, I don't know what education costs in the U.S., $10,000 a year on taking someone through a training program. It's a little more than that. Yeah, sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more than that. It can be a lot more than that, yeah. Whatever that number is. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think to give a business what they want, that's massively important. But yeah. they need a mechanism. They need, we need space. You yeah. know, if there's space that you know, people can get out. But there's so many ways businesses can give back. I think even that short-term bit, to get involved in some of the programs, mm -hmm. to create access points where equipment suppliers are giving schools some basic hand tools yeah. that, you know, to make you know, opportunities available. This is not a quick fix solution. But no. I really no, hope, not. I think the fact that you guys are promoting the conversation, that's the most yeah. important first step. Do you know what I love? I love a guest who, one, actually listens to the show. That's very yeah. true. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Two, I also love a guest who keeps plugging the show while being on I it. Know. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah, I like that. Well, no, I, I love what you're saying, too, because I feel like with Jewelry Week, you know, we... We were kind of in the jewelry industry, Bella and I, when we started, but... Not really. We had just kind of jumped into it at that point and recognized the need for, um, you know, a little bit of uh, invigoration from mm -hmm. the other fields that we were mm -hmm. in. And I feel like since we've been in the jewelry industry, I've always looking around and and thinking about that. How do we get? How do we promote new people? Mm -hmm. How do we make it more exciting, more relevant to the world around us? And um, and finally, now in five years, it, we're we're thinking about these. Can we make a difference? Is Jewelry Week the space where this needs to happen? Because I yeah. don't think there's a lot of people thinking about it as a whole, other than us. Because like, again, we don't have a CFDA. Mm -hmm. All we have is Jewelry Week in New York, and we're like, I think we're the first organization that has really, like, in a broad sense of the industry, been like, hey guys, things aren't great. Like, we can make this better. How can we do this? How can we work together? Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of pushback for that working together part, mm -hmm. certainly. Um, but I do think things are shifting. So I you're right. So. I like putting this conversation forward because now what? Who knows what's yeah. going to happen? And not to turn this into, you know, a masturbatory session about Jewelry Week. But even in the short amount of time that you guys have been doing this and the sort of programs that you put out there look at uh what's happened with you know i don't know if i should name anybody specific but there are designers like lorraine west who has been in the game for 20 years look at what's happened to her career now and all the people who are paying to attention to her now i think in large part because of the promotion of her work and her talent mm -hmm. the jewelry week had done yeah, well, and with Lorraine, it was so interesting because it was really a partnership. Mm -hmm. But when we did her solo exhibition, which was in initially supposed to be an in-person exhibition, that was such a big moment for us and for her. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't, it, 
we grew so much in that time and space together mm-hmm. and to figure out how to put that out into the world. Mm-hmm. I think that was really exciting. And yeah, that never would have happened. You know, we And the programs her, like, we, you know, what what you've done with De Beers, who, how on earth would something like a project like that have come about, the Radiance Project, have come about were it oh, not yeah. for you guys? Well, yeah, we didn't officially have anything to do with that, but it was really great to see jewelers like Angeli Martinez right when she mm-hmm. was we met her when she was still in school who's, at who's Pratt. very talented very talented woman, yeah. and mm-hmm. and she was in our mentorship program called one for the future mm-hmm. in in 2018 and to grow with her and see mm-hmm. these things these opportunities coming her way are so exciting and I yeah I don't I can't you know say like we officially had a lot to do with that. We've just been in her corner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been uh, really exciting yeah. to have these opportunities with jewelers and, and that our organization like that never existed. You know, yeah. Angeli hasn't been involved in all of the jewelry week stuff officially through all our five years, but we, we always touch base and mm-hmm. I'm always like, what are you doing? What do you need? But you having know, that support system, alone, I'm sure Chris can speak to this as well, is invaluable in an industry like this. Yeah. Even something like that, where you're sort of checking in and you're saying, well, this yeah. is a talented person I hope you she knows we're to. always there. Yes. Yeah, it's like, I'm always like, what are you doing? What are you yeah. Great to see you there. I think the thing that you know, both you guys are very good at, you know, better is the same, that you've opened yourselves up for people to contact you, mm-hmm. you know, and no one's promising solutions, but to right. actually kind of have people around you that are checking in, that are sharing. Mm-hmm. You, you need people to celebrate the good days, but also the tough days. Of course, And yes. I think having that community, however it starts to manifest itself, mm-hmm. you know, that's the exciting thing. Yeah. There is a, hopefully more and more people that are doing that, that yeah. you know, be it an, an Instagram DM or something, it's yeah, just to go, I mean, you good? Uh, that's yeah. sometimes all you I, need. And I love that. I mean, I have jewelers I have phone conversations with and we'll be on the phone for an hour. And, you know, sometimes it's just about like all the shit. All the crappy oh, yeah. things that have happened. Yeah. Sometimes you, yeah, you want someone to go, that sounds but shit, but it was, yeah, yeah. cheers. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. my shit right there. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, uh, uh, but even that kind of conversation yeah. is so well, helpful. To and have. I, I think the community, like you said, that is, is such an important part of these systems. But I think that might be the seed, right? Mm-hmm. Is the communities that we are creating now together. And yeah. Lorraine will be the first to tell you that when we when she was a part of here we are the first year when we did the photography series um that was what she took away from it was well, that all of a sudden she had a community within the uh-huh. three hour time span and that and we what did a photo and the shoot. reason i will say for and i'm not just saying this because lorraine is a great friend of mine and i adore her which I do, but um, and all of that is true. But the reason I think why what contributes to her success is her understanding of community. She mm. pays it all forward. She does. She's actually yeah. done things for me she did not need to do. She's mm-hmm. promoted me to people she did not need to. She's done th- things for me that she absolutely had no business doing. Yeah. And she did, and it's helped my business tremendously as well. So she yeah. always pays it forward. Oh, yeah. And, and she has too, that always. kind of communitarian yeah. mindset, yeah. you know, of I like, that about well, her. you've done for me, of course I'll do for you, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and but that's rare. So that's very rare. rare. Yeah. But it's contributed to her overall success, that attitude and disposition. Yeah. You know? And I think her peers would say the same, the mm-hmm. other jewelers as well. Like, 
when she did the collaborative project last year at Jewelry Week, um, bringing in Here We Are alumni together mm-hmm. uh, to do a project with Moose, like that, so great to Amazing. see her uh, be like, yeah, this is my community. I want to give them the opportunities. Exactly, and she got Aziza me. involved and Johnny Nelson and mm-hmm. a spectacular lineup of really talented people. Yeah, yeah. So there's really a solution. Good. Come join the community. Yeah, that's what I Join think. the community. Yeah. Oh, we did a positive thing. Yay. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you guys for having me. It's a, a wonderful time. And congrats <laughs> on the podcast. Um, yeah, best of luck with it. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank it's you so much for being, being here. here. We've loved having you. Pleasure. Wonderful guest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This has been Ravka. I'm JB Jones. And I'm that girl you always knew I was. I'm Alan Simich. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Goodbye. And the benefits of studying anything creative. Wow. Yeah. So sorry. I thought, oh my God. I thought I made it. Do you recall when I said at the top of this? No, I was given strict instructions that all devices should be off. Um, And what's happened just now? What did you do, JP? Tell our audience, Chris, what you just witnessed. So that I'm not the only one always yelling at her. Way too many devices that are all synced. That all went <laughs> up. At, all several. went off at the same time. Several, yeah. in fact. Several. There not the one. Not the one. Though. Several, in fact.